Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. Welcome to the Avid Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Hart, CEO and founder of Avid, unleashing your potential. Welcome back to part two with Kim Whitler, talking about marketing talent, the future of marketing, and wonderful case studies from Cadillac to Alan Edmonds. Enjoy part two. Today on the show, I have Kim Whitler. She's assistant professor of marketing at the University of Virginia's Darden School of Business. She regularly writes for Forbes and CMO.com on all sorts of marketing leadership topics. And prior to her academic career, she was CMO at David's Bridal and Beezer Homes. Her research now focuses on understanding how board and C-level roles and characteristics impact the company's marketing performance. Now let's assume I'm now CMO and I'm in the role. How do I think about my marketing capabilities or, or organization that's now reporting to me? And how, you know, how do I assess it or, or think about, is it a good one or do I have gaps? I think, frankly, the skill that marketers have start developing from a very young age. So if you're a brand assistant, you're trying to figure out what the consumer's needs are, and then you're trying to figure out how your brand delivers on those needs, what are the gaps. So same sort of things exist when it comes to uh, internal marketing competencies. So part, part of it starts with what is your strategic plan? What is it 
that you hope to accomplish, and then you have to go through an assessment to see if you have the right structure and the right team to be able to achieve it. And I, it, it, that is a big issue. Um, and it's oftentimes, unfortunately, not easy to change quickly. You do have a window. When you take a new role, you oftentimes have a window of time, the honeymoon, where you're able to make those those changes more easily. It, it, you know, if you let a year or two go by and then you say, wait, I don't have the right structure, people will ask, why didn't you bring that up in the first six months? So I, I think it's, you know, it, it stems from your strategic plan and what it is you want to achieve. And then it's a decision as to what you want to insource versus outsource, right? Where, where do you want to hire experts outside of the firm, consultants, agencies, experts outside of the firm, versus what do you want to have on your staff? And then it's a matter of, okay, do I have the right people in the right positions? If you go back to Jim Collins, do I have the, you know, the right people in the right positions on the bus to get it done? I know talent, in particular, the CMOs that I talk to, it's a, it's a big issue. Um, and it seems like maybe it's because of the complexity of the organizations they're running, like you described. It's on a spectrum of, I don't have true lieutenants or deputies, you know, i.e. mini CMOs or junior CMOs. Um, so there's a management or leadership gap. And then in other cases, it's a more niche need, you know, digital, social. And so I, I, it's hard for me to get a read on it. I don't know if you experienced that as well with all the folks that you've talked to. I think it really is hard. And, the, and, and frankly, it's even more challenging today. One of the things I started seeing right before I left practice to get a Ph.D., is I started seeing a shift in, frankly, work ethic. So not only do you have to find people who have the right skills, who have a great attitude, right, their positive contribution to the team, but I started finding that people had very high expectations. They wanted to make, you know, $180,000 a year, but they needed to leave at 3 p.m. to go do some endeavor. And I, so I started seeing this, 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 you know, frankly, this problem, because I had individuals, you know, for, exa- for example, my administrative assistant who was working 40 hours a week or more, who was making a lot less than these individuals who didn't have that, that same kind of expectation that, that they would make a lot and not have to work uh, as hard. And so, uh, you know, we're seeing it right now with Paul Ryan. You know, he'll take the speakership job, but he's going he's, he's gonna to put mandates on when he will work and when he won't work. And while some of that is good, it can make trying to fill out a team where you need a lot of players who are pulling their fair share of the weight, it can make it challenging if you have a lot of variance and the degree of commitment to the project, the team, the company, et cetera. What I ended up doing toward the end of my career is I literally did five hours of interviews for any significant position. And the the first inter- the first set of interviews, the first two and a half, was to almost scare the candidates into understanding how difficult the job would be because I, I realized after I'd made a couple of very bad hiring calls, I wanted to get people who were who were up for the challenge, who were ready to work hard and who were ready to hit the ground running. And if people were focused on work life balance, that wasn't the company was at this time was 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 having a lot of challenges. It was in a tough industry that was declining and I needed people who could pull. And so I, you know, I had a very tough two-and-a-half-hour interview that was focused on competency, uh, but could they handle the culture? Could they handle the challenges in front of them? 
And in fact, one of my best employees ever, halfway through that interview, said, Kim, if you're trying to scare me, you can't scare me. So he knew exactly what I was doing, and he came back and he said, I'm not scared. I'm open to the challenge. I want to learn. I love the fact that I'm going to be given a lot of responsibility, and I'm ready for that. So he called me on basically what I was doing in the interview. The next two and a half hours was focused on personality fit, cultural fit, et cetera, and they would be held in different venues, separate locations. The second interview was typically over a lunch, and if they'd made it through the first round, then I softened up, and I, I then we could have more of a conversation. But I realized after making literally two very bad hires that I could not afford to do that again. Now, that's what I did. You know, I think every CMO has to figure out their own way on this. Um, I also put a lot more pressure on on our recruiting partners to do a better job of vetting candidates. Uh, but this is a this is a big deal, and it's it costs the company a lot to find a candidate. And I just finally got to the point where I had to invest more of my own time because it was that important. You know, when you get somebody who has a great attitude, who's a tremendous leader, who steps into the gap, who's a, who has a great work ethic, who's dependable, who's reliable, who's a positive energy, who makes the team better, when you find that person, they are worth gold. Conversely, if you get the opposite, it, it is cancerous to a team. And so knowing how important critical players are on the team, I, I just felt like toward the end of my career the variance was too great and I needed to jump in and, 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 and be more hands-on than I had to be kind of earlier in the middle of my career. I love your five hours. Um, that's a lot of time to spend with a candidate, but, but it's vital, like you said. I mean, it's vital to get the right fit. When you have the great positive energy spirit, the people who raise their hand and the students who are ready to help their classmates and and who are engaged in learning, and then you have the cynical, skeptical, constantly challenging everything. And, and I, not the challenge is bad, but kind of a, a general negativity. You see this everywhere. And the variance is tremendous. And I just found over time that I really prefer to find folks who are positive spirits, who are competent, who um, kind of have the right type of energy to make the team better, uh, that they're big contributors. It's just I finally felt like five hours was worth it for me because, you know what, you're going to spend hundreds if not thousands of hours with them. And so five hours is a, is a low upfront cost to invest to make sure that, frankly, they know what they're getting themselves into. That's the other thing. You know, it's it's fair. It's not fair to them to spend 30 minutes in an interview and think that they have enough information to be able to decide whether or not, you know, I'm a good fit for them or the company's a good fit for them. And so for both of us, I felt like, you know, it was only fair that I do more due diligence on my side to make sure that I have greater confidence in the hire. And frankly, for them, that before they say yes, that they have enough information to believe that this was a good fit for them as well great advice to any candidate in marketing or any candidate for that matter any job what i want to do now if it's okay with you i want to step back from your research and let's get our crystal balls out um i love this part of the interview process (laughs) and think about the future um and you know i'm curious as i'm sure many of the listeners are what would you predict you've got your pulse on business and academia um, and many other things, especially with the articles and, and, and content you're putting out with Forbes. 
What do you predict for the future of marketing? So I, it, this is, it's funny because I do so many interviews and I always ask the same question. So it's, it's kind of <laughs> nice to be on the other side for once. Um, so the first thing I'd say is I don't think it's a monolith. I think, you know, this is the biggest tent. Marketing is the biggest tent of all disciplines. You know, we have everybody from a media analyst or a researcher who's a quant jock to creatives and artists to strategists to general managers, you know, and then to kind of functional experts who are social media experts or digital experts. As I always tell students, it does not matter what your skill is. If you love people, we have sales. If you hate people, we can put you in a room and you can do analysis. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're good at. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's a space for you in marketing. It also, as we started the conversation, marketing is, is such a confused term. So academics define it differently than practitioners do. It, this is such an academic answer, but it's always it depends. It, it depends. And so I want to I talk, though, about what it can be for those enlightened CEOs and those enlightened boards who understand that this can be a, a huge competitive advantage when managed correctly. So the first thing I'd say, and this is based on my research, that I think in a more competitive world where the big get bigger but they hit harder, um, and even in some ways, some of the small are, are faster, more are nimbler, are, are able to beat up on the big, growth is more challenged. And we're seeing that in a lot of CEO surveys. So as growth becomes more challenged and difficult to attain, look at higher ed. You know, what's going to happen in the future? Most likely, higher ed, you're going to see schools go by the wayside, and some of the big will get even bigger. And so in a world where growth is more challenged, marketing becomes more important because marketers are the engine for growth in the company. They're the ones who understand the consumer. They understand how to design to meet consumer needs, how that should affect product, service, et cetera. And so I think, if used correctly, that one of the key elements will be that marketing will become more important 
to enlighten companies, not less important. Second thing is then this will be as it becomes even more important in industries where it's historically not been important. I'll talk about law firms. I did an interview with somebody where all of a sudden marketing is becoming more important in law firms, more important in B2B. It's becoming more important in tech, right? It's becoming more important in higher ed. It's always been important in CPG, and it's been important in retail for a long time and in banking and financial services for, for quite some time. But what you're seeing is all of these other industries where we've never thought about marketing mattering, it's all of a sudden becoming more important, and it's going to be um, something that can help distinguish better performing firms from worse performing firms. So I think it's a great time to go into marketing. I also think that the future will require that marketers attain different skills. So it was possible in the 80s and 90s for somebody to grow up in an, ad a, an advertising agency, which is a very small part of broad marketing, and to, to obtain a position of CMO. I don't think that's going to be the case. It's, it's actually dwindling, and that's not going to be the case very often in the future. I think you're going to see more people coming from consulting backgrounds with, that, with, with the ability to analyze data and convert analytical thinking into strategic plans. So I think consulting will become more important. Um, I think CPG will continue to, to be important as a training ground for great marketers. And I think people um, who want to attain kind of a C-level position need to develop both their artistic side and understanding of, of the art and the science of marketing. So n no longer can you be one or the other. And in some research that I did, it's interesting. The worst performing marketing companies are those where the CMOs are pre predominantly analytical, self-described wow. analytical without any creative skills. Now, this shocked me. I reran the numbers three times. Why is that? Here's my hypothesis. Anybody can tell you, go target this group and here's what they want. But you now need to convert that insight into information, messaging, products, services that change the consumer's mind and behavior. And that requires an artistic component. And so the people who are great scientists, great analysts, without having the balance on the creative side, without having a respect for how hard it is to change somebody's mind, now this is the ad agency side, they're deficient. And so in the future, those people who will win have strong foundational stat skills, math skills, analytical thinking skills, strategy skills. But that is necessary, not sufficient. They also have to have a respect for ad agencies, great creative, creative that changes minds, creative that moves consumers to behave differently. They need to understand both sides. So I think the job is becoming more challenging because it used to be that you could be one or the other. And I think to be great in the future, you're going to actually have to be ambidextrous on this one. And then the last thing I would say is that I think uh, more CMOs or more CEOs will be coming from marketing. And a lot of that has to do with what I just mentioned, the fact that you have to be an analyst and a strategist and a tactician and a leader uh, you have to work with the outside constituencies, agencies, and internal uh, peers to try to drive uh, change within a firm. All of those skills are critical once you get to the CEO role. And so I do think you're starting to see more and more CEOs coming from marketing, and I think it's going to be a great training ground uh, 
to uh, to launch into the CEO position from. I'm curious. Any I've asked this question as well to a number of folks, and always fun to get an answer from a marketer or former marketer. Um, are there companies that you watch or that you find interesting? You think others should be paying attention to? Right now, I'm I'm fascinated by brands that are turning themselves around. So I'll give you a couple of examples. I like Allen Edmonds. Allen Edmonds is a very it's a luxury, very premium American-made shoe company, and they lost their way. Um, they were they distributed their shoes, a lot of their shoes either through their own stores or through retailers, and they listened to the retailers and not the consumers, and they changed their product. They went overseas. They changed their manufacturing. They did all sorts of things wrong. This is back in the early 2000s. And they they got a new CEO who was, even though he was an eye banker, he sounds like a marketer. He has a market-oriented point of view. One of the first things he did was he asked the C-suite, what did did the, the competitor's shoes feel like to wear? They didn't know. So he went out and he bought all the competitors' shoes and said, I want you to wear them for a week. Now I want you to wear our shoes for a week. I want you to talk to consumers. He went back to the basics to really understand what the company was about, what the loyal uh, the loyal fans of the shoes uh, loved about the company, and they they fixed everything. They turned everything around. The company was not doing well, and they've had – unbelievable growth since since they went back to basics and really anchored the entire proposition on the heritage, the history, and the um, the passion that was originally in the brand. Another example of this is Buick. I love I, I love what Buick's done, and it's a fabulous story to take a 100 plus year old brand. And they're they're able to you know in the U.S. it had basically died and and in 2008 2009 when General Motors was going through bankruptcy they had to decide what to do with all their brands they jettisoned brands like Saturn but they kept Buick and in the U.S. people said why in the world would they do it well they did it because of the brand strength in China but it doesn't matter they then said we've got to turn this brand around now how do you turn around a brand that stands for your grandparents? And what they did was, I think, really impressive. They changed their service model. They changed their product. um, They changed their advertising. And they have a measure called momentum that looks at kind of, it's a measure of brand strength. They were at roughly negative 16, and they brought it to neutral. And that wasn't enough. So they had improved it significantly. But then they said, we're still not changing consumers' minds. Right? So they'd done all the analysis. They'd fixed the strategy, they fixed the product, but the advertising wasn't working hard enough for them. And one of the key insights they had was that the brand, the people were shocked. They said, this doesn't look like a Buick, which ironically, when the first time I saw one of the new Buicks, I thought, that looks like a German car. That's an American car? I'm a, I, I love cars. So I, 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 I had to go test drive it just because it looked like a German car. And then they, they came out with an ad campaign that poked fun at the brand a little bit, but identified what consumers were feeling. And the whole the whole um, impetus of the campaign was that consumers couldn't believe that that was a Buick. And, oh, by the way, then their momentum score went from zero to po- roughly positive 16, on par with Lincoln, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a tremendous story, frankly, about the science and the art side 
of fixing a brand, but it's not just turning around any brand. It's about turning around a 100-year-old brand that many thought was dead in the U.S., and they were able to resuscitate it. And I, so I love stories like that coach back in the 1990s. You know, they changed uh, their brand positioning. It's a fabulous story. So there, there's a lot of examples of that, but I like brands that, that kind of go in and realize that they have to fix something in dire straits, and they're able to do it. Thank you for uh, taking the time to talk with us today um, and uh, appreciate all your insights, and I'm sure all the listeners will as well. Thank you so much, Alan. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 